2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Zero Ducks Given. And Daniel Norcross has gone awol, but I have replaced him with the star of the podcast, Stephen Finn, who has clocked up some air miles over the last few days. So, Finny, why do you tell the good people at home your your journey the last forty eight hours and where you're off to next?
3: Well, yeah, my my carbon footprint's not looking all that good, I don't think, <laughs> at the moment. But I about eighteen months ago booked a holiday with my friends for this week of January. Um, to Barbados, there's like 10 of us. So we all flew out there three days ago on Saturday morning and it was all booked in. So I was like, right, well, I can't miss this. I can't miss this holiday because it's going to be great fun. But I had to fly back to the UK after three days because I am now going to work for TNT Sports on the next test match in Stockholm, uh, for which I fly at about four o'clock This evening, I got off the plane about two and a half hours ago and I'm flying to Stockholm at four o'clock in the morning uh, later today. So, yeah, it's been a whirlwind, 48 hours or so. And if I sound delirious on TNT in a few days time, then it's probably because I am.
2: Well, I can tell you're a bit delirious because you gave us three different times there. You said, I'm going to fly at four o'clock this evening and then you said, I'm going to fly at 4 a.m. this afternoon so
3: <laughs> it's all it's all wizard yeah everything's i've got so much to get done i've got a pack i've got to pack all my clothes and the wardrobe stuff yeah it's um it's
2: carnage well i appreciate you being with us and and, and and why is it in stockholm it's something to do with its tnt's like sister company have got studios out there or something
3: yeah there were complications with finding a studio in the uk that could do all five days i think because there's clearly a lot of football on at the moment that tnt used the studios for so yeah as far as i um, aware it seems that that was the only studio in the whole of Europe that was available for the times that we wanted it so we're booked in for those these next two test matches I luckily mean, all England the... played well
2: well I was going to say although it's all been a bit chaotic and last minute TNT after that first test match must have been delighted that they decided to buy the rights of this series because it's uh it's shaping up very very nicely before we get into the cricket Finny you're um have you ever seen that meme that goes around from The Simpsons, where it's a picture of Abe Simpson, the grandpa, and it says a newspaper headline, "Old man shouts at cloud." I'm, uh, I'm slightly worried that that's where you're, um, you're ending up because I saw you tweeting you're whinging about dog poo the other day. What, what's going on, Finny? Talk to us.
3: Well, yeah, it's just the the local council that I live in seem to. Um, it's not the council actually; it's the people who've got the dogs. If you've <laughs> yeah. got a dog pick the shit up i don't understand why it's so difficult i stand at my window washing the dishes sometimes i just watch a dog walk down the street lay a massive cable and by the time i can get out my window to shout at the person who's not picked it up they've whizzed off down the road and then i've got to go and play fucking hopscotch to try and get through it on my way up to the tube station so yeah it was just a culmination of things that have led to me multiple times either stepping in or almost stepping in dog shit on my walk out my house. So, yeah, it was a build-up of frustration, I'd say, more than anything.
2: You described it on uh, Twitter as like playing Takeshi's Castle. I used to love that show. I don't remember Fantastic that round. Fantastic programme. It's, it's been
3: paid. remade now as well. You should yeah, host it, is. it.
2: Rob Beckett. I think Rob Beckett and Ramesh Ranganathan beat me to that one. Surprise, surprise. Well, I agree. Pip and I walk home most days from work, and we have noticed an upsurge in the amount of dog shit on the ground. I don't know... What that reason is, Pips and I were saying, is it people that got dogs in lockdown who don't know how to handle them? I don't know, but there's a definite rise in dog shit at the moment. Uh, so if you are listening to this and you own a dog, pick up its poo. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I knew, I knew you wanted to get that off your chest, Finny, but I haven't got you for that long because I appreciate you've got a flight at four o'clock this afternoon slash morning slash evening. Um, <laughs> so... We haven't actually had your considered opinions on, on that bonkers first test match between England and India. Now that the dust has settled and we've had time to digest it and think about it properly, what do you make of it? I know that you were unpopular on your trip in Barbados because you decided to sit down and watch the the last few hours of that game.
3: Yeah, well, we was still jet-lagged on that first day and got up and stuck the TV on. And and well, it was a fantastic culmination, wasn't it? Another tight test match that this team have been involved in. And it just seems to have, they seem to have this incredible ability to just pull themselves back from the brink, even when everything and all evidence suggests that they shouldn't be able to. So, yeah, it was a Herculean effort from Ollie Pope to get England into the position that they could with a 230 run lead going into that final innings. And I think the biggest thing for me and the biggest factor in England actually winning that game was, aside from Pope's magnificent innings, was... That first evening where Ben Stokes showed faith and belief in Tom Hartley as his spinner to continue to bowl him, even when India were trying to attack him and getting after him. Um, I think he went for 60 or 70 in his first nine overs on that first evening. And you were sat there thinking there's a lot of captains that would have just whipped him out of the attack after two overs this guy is not, um, not the answer. He's not going to get us wickets here. But Ben Stokes looked at the longer picture. And I think as someone who's bold as well, Ben Stokes will realise this, that if you're whipped out of the attack after two overs, you could lose that person for the entire test match and the entire series. He played the long game and said, I, I want this guy to feel loved and trusted and that he continue to express himself because... I think that gives us a better chance of winning the game. So that captaincy on the first evening was magnificent and it paid dividends in that final innings for Tom Hartley to take that brilliant 7
2: It It's interesting that because it turned out to be an absolute masterstroke. And, and I said to Dan on one of the uh, dailies we did the other day that we should just never question Ben Stokes' methods ever again. Because Finney, I, I sent you a message on WhatsApp when he kept bowling Tom Hartley and I said to you, what would you want here as a bowler? Would you rather have the ball in your hand where you can control things and you can try and get yourself into a rhythm and you can try and get a wicket? Or would you rather just be saved from yourself by the captain and taken off? And you said, I think I'd rather be taken off and come back tomorrow morning with, you know, a fresh sort of fresh mind.
3: Well, yeah, but that's because I think the captains that I'd have played under wouldn't have said to me, try and take me a wicket. It would have been, right, let's try and dry these runs up. Let's try and stop them scoring. And when you're being panned all over the place, that's difficult. I I came to that crossroads many times in my career where I was a naturally attacking bowler and you had to go against your natural instincts to try and conform to what the team wanted a lot of the time. But I would imagine that in that situation, Ben Stokes would have been saying to Hartley, you can get me a wicket here. I believe you can get me a wicket and that's all I want from you. And that frees you up as a bowler to continue to commit to bowling the ball, I think Um, when constraints are put on you, it makes you nervous, it makes you tense, it makes you not get through your action properly. Therefore, as a spinner, there wouldn't be that much energy on the ball. But Stokes' captaincy will always be to take or look to take the attacking option. And in that situation, it was, if you get him out, then we can all come piling through the door. So, um, yeah, I I think my natural instincts would have been to say, "Yep, I'll come back fresh tomorrow morning. But I think under Ben Stokes' style of captaincy, You'd feel implored to, um, to go out there and try and take a wicket for him because it feels like he's like that, that type of captain.
2: Yeah, and uh, and you're so right as well about the energy on the ball because he, you know, I don't blame him. He even said himself, Tom Hartley, after the game that after day one, he was actually during day one when he was about five overs into that opening spell, he was stood in the outfield thinking, God, this is harder than I expected, and and is this what it's going to be like all series? Um, and when it was even showing the replays of his bowling in the first innings the ball, he had that, he was just letting it go and everyone was making that comparison to Simon Kerrigan, another Lancashire spinner, of just under the circumstances, just sort of letting it go, trying to get away with it. And I actually don't think the pitch changed that much as the as the test match went on. But you, the difference in the second innings when it showed slow motion replays of the ball and you could see it was fizzing and the seam was beautiful and there was just so confidence. much... that's that confidence. That's confidence, exactly, yeah. That. yeah. And that's it... ben, that was Ben Stokes' captaincy that did that. It, it gave Tom Hartley the confidence to actually put some revs on the ball and it was, he was a new man in the second innings.
3: Well, uh, yeah. And the difference there is like committing to what you're doing. I think it's easy when you're under pressure. And I did this many times when trying to bowl Yorkers at the back end of a T20 game or bowling really important overs in a tight situation. It's easy to just try and put the ball there a little bit and you don't have that zip and vigor off your fingers that you might do when you're in, when you're in fine form and you're feeling confident and, Ben Stokes as a captain gives people the most opportunities to find that zip off their fingertips. And I think that that spell that he bowled on the first evening would have given Hartley the confidence to say, right, I'm just going to go and commit to everything I do from the second day onwards and see where that gets me. And and I think Ben Stokes' leadership led him
2: to be able to do that and ultimately won England the game. It is mad what a wicket does. I mean, even at the crap standard of cricket that I play when I'm bowling and badly and, not, and it is crap. Some, you know, some some big bloke who's sixty-five years old called, you know, Big Steve, skies one up in the air off my bowling and the wicket keeper catches it, even though I've been going around the park, suddenly I'm a new man. Now I can't even imagine what it's like at test out. Have you had those moments, Finney, where, you know, you're not even bowling that well, you don't even bowl a good ball to take a wicket, but what a wicket does for the spring in your step, your your action, everything.
3: Yeah, well, you then all of a sudden your teammates get behind you, the crowd gets behind you, you, sort of carries you into the crease, the noise when a new batter comes to the crease. And um, especially in a big game, you get that sort of wave of noise just pushes you in towards the stumps. There's more momentum through the crease. Your follow through goes down that bit further. Yeah, and it's incredible what wickets do to a bowler's confidence and how that affects how much they commit to what they're doing. So... Again, I think that's one of the main reasons why Ben Stokes' captaincy is so good uh, and why he seems to be getting the best out of of everyone that plays under him or almost everyone that plays under him is he's got them committed to what they're doing and committed to the team. He displayed those characteristics as a player and rarely does someone who's as good as Ben Stokes, I think, actually end up being a good captain because it'd be easy for him to be really frustrated and be like, why can't these guys do everything like I can? But he's got an empathy about him because of the experiences that he's had in his life. And he's been dropped many times by England and used wrongly by England in his first few years of international cricket, batting at number eight and being a fourth seamer. I think he knows what it takes to empower people to get the best out of them. And he's implementing it beautifully at the
2: moment. Yeah, he said after the test match in the interview that uh, he had to keep bowling, Tom, because in the entire build up to the test match, him and Brendan had been given all this messaging about we want you to go out there and perform and give you the confidence to perform. And he said, we can't be all talk, talk, talk. And then when we're actually out there in the middle, panic and not stick to our guns. So he said it was really important that I, I sent that message to Tom that, you know, we're not just saying empty words here. We really do believe in it, which is so easy to say after the event but to actually do it out there in the middle when there's a test match on the line and you're in front of an Indian crowd in India against you know the best side in the world to actually do that and have that presence of mind is is absolutely mind-blowing and it's it's what great captains do is have that sort of clarity of thought and I just thought it was the most incredible bit of captaincy and he's just looking like a genius now the thing that I love about Baz Ball the most is how much it's really starting to piss off Australians because it pissed them off a bit during the summer. And let's be honest, the only reason they didn't lose the ashes is because of two days of rain in Manchester. There's no bones about it. England would have won that free two if it weren't for those two days of rain. So they smugly sort of went back to Australia you know, thinking, oh, we just might got away of it, but without having been defeated by Baz Ball. But Jim Maxwell called it Bollocks Ball after two days of this test match because England... I think it was been...
3: Baz Bollocks he said.
2: Baz oh, Baz bollocks. bollocks, that's right. Although Bollocks Ball would have been better. Uh, Baz Bollocks, I saw our... That's, good... a
3: different, that's a different game.
2: Yeah, don't Google that. Keep your safe search on if you're Googling that. Or if you've got a missus, keep your incognito mode on. Then I also saw our good friends at uh, the final word the other day. Saying that, oh, they don't mind it. It's a good brand of cricket, but you know they they're getting a bit, giving themselves a bit too many pats on the back about saving Test cricket and blah 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 blah. And I'm loving how much we're pissing off the Australians because the fact is, right? There's two things I was saying. Defensive bollocks, ball, Baz bollocks, Baz ball, whatever you want to call it. The first thing is Finney and uh, Finney Stokesy and McCullum themselves have always sort of distanced themselves from this Baz rhetoric as well. I mean, it's the fans and social media that likes getting caught up in it. And it's all a bit tongue-in-cheek. We all get a bit carried away. But the other thing that people need to understand is I don't think they realise how turgid and dull and how bad our test team had been for the two years leading into this. Now, Finney, Stokes has already won more test matches than Michael Atherton. He's only one win away from matching Nasser Hussein. This is a side that could not buy a win before... Brendan McCullum and Ben Stokes got together. When do we actually start getting really carried away about this? I mean, this is no longer that small a sample size. It's been a couple of years now.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think it's too soon whatsoever. I think you look at the things that they have done, um, and you judge yourself on. I think Ashes series clearly, um, and overseas tours, and the the tour to Pakistan last winter when it was just. Well, how are they going to get results on those completely flat pitches? How are they going to take 20 wickets? They found a way. They've come into this India tour and we're only one test match in. There are four to go. But the talk before the tour was there's no way they're going to be able to compete with India's spinners and the pressure that that will put upon them. And already they've proven that they can. And I think the style of play that they play with, always being on the front foot, it doesn't matter who you are or how great you are that everyone has iffy days and off days, even if you're great at the game. And England sort of put so much pressure back on the opposition that it's an alien feeling to these guys who are used to just turning up and having it all their own way. So, yeah, I don't think it's too soon to start getting carried away. I think the end of this series, if they end up winning this series or getting close to winning this series, then I think we can get really, really carried away because that will be a magnificent feat in what I think is the hardest overseas tour for an English player to go and compete in. So, yeah, it's all looking brilliant for McCullum and Stokes at the moment and they just have to try and keep things simple, keep, you know, doing the processes that have got them to this point um and not losing sight of those things and um and who knows what they can achieve because at the moment every time anyone's doubted them They've just sort of put two fingers up at them and, and gone sailing past.
2: <laughs> yeah. I and mean, you talk about putting pressure back on, on, on players. Jadeja had his worst ever economy rate in India in the first innings and went for the most runs he's ever gone for in the second innings. So, I mean, that is an unbelievably skillful bowler. And then to make matters worse, he got injured while being run out by the most ridiculous piece of fielding I've ever seen from Ben Stokes. And he's out of the second test. So is Rahul as well. In fact, Joe Root has scored more runs in his test career than the entire Indian lineup
1: Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
4: Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean
0: everything. Now,
4: you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com.
0: 18 plus.
2: Let's look forward to the second test match. As you say, Finney, look, we won 1 0 up a few years ago and ended up getting spanked for the remaining four tests. That is still a strong possibility. Don't get me wrong, but it does feel a little bit different this time, especially with those two injuries and no Coley as well. McCollum said the other day, and there's rumors about Jack Leach maybe not being fit, but McCollum said the other day that there's a good chance that if these pitches keep playing like they are, that they'll go in with four spinners, not three spinners, but four spinners. Now, Is he? I mean, I just don't. I can't read him. And Stokes. Is that him having a little dig at everyone that questioned the free spinners thing, or is that McCollum being completely serious?
3: I think he's been. I think there's an element of seriousness to what he says. I think if that what he's saying is that we will pick the team that we believe is correct to win the game on the surface that's in front of us and. McCullum played over 100 test matches, was a, a great of the game, understands conditions and understands India. Ben Stokes, the same, is a magnificent player and understands how to win games of cricket. So they're two men who will trust their gut feeling. I think they're not going to stand there looking over the pitch and um and ah about, oh, well, we could do this, we could do that. They'll make a decision that's informed by what's in front of them, and they'll commit 100% to doing that. And if that involves playing four spinners, that involves playing four spinners. I think what McCullum is saying there is that they're willing to try and do anything with conviction to win the to win a Test match. Whether you could feasibly see it happening without a seamer, I, I think I'd be very very surprised if that did happen, but. I was surprised that England won the game when they were 190 down after the first <laughs> innings. So
2: who knows what could happen? I've learned to never question anything McCullum and Stokes do ever again. I want to talk to you about because about as a, as a fast bowler yourself because it's an interesting one because Mark Wood didn't do a lot wrong. He kept it really tight. He bowled 17 overs, 0 for 47 in the first innings and 8 overs, 0 for 15 in the second innings. Now, Bumrah showed, I mean, is a freak, but Boomer did show that someone as world-class as him with a bit of reverse swing, is still very, very effective as a pace bowler on those wickets. He took two in the first innings and four brilliant wickets in the second innings as well. But I felt that was the difference between him and Mark Wood. And we have seen Mark Wood swing a cricket ball. That's unbelievable spell at Edgebaston. It wasn't just because he was bowling really quick, although he was bowling really bloody quick. But it was the swing he was getting as well. But by and large, he's not one. He likes to hit the pitch hard and stuff like that. But do you think, Finney, regardless of the wicket, there's always room for a seamer in in there somewhere even if it's just for the batsman to occasionally have to face someone a bit different
3: yes because I think also seamers in India can blow away tails especially if it gets reverse swinging the pace it doesn't matter what surface you're on tail enders hate facing guys who can bowl quick and it, it, they'll be happy to stand there and prod off the front foot against the spinner they might get out but they're far more comfortable doing that than they are hopping around every now and again against a quick bowler I Who am I to be critical of Mark Wood? He's clearly a wonderful bowler. But I think because he was the only seamer in that first test match, I think that he maybe just tried a little bit too much every time he got the ball in his hand. It was short balls wide of the crease, close to the crease, in-swing, in-swing, out-swing. I think if you watch bowl, he's setting people up. He knows that he's got a four-over spell and he's not looking to get a wicket every single ball. He's looking to set people up. So... He set up for the slower ball when he got his wickets with the slower ball. It was a process to setting the batter up. My preference, if I had a reverse swinging ball in my hand, was to bolt away swing, away swing, away swing for nine or 10 balls to a batter and then drag their head and their hands and their body across the crease and try and get them crossing over their front foot towards what they think is going to be another away swinger. And then you bowl an effort ball in the swinger towards the stump. So, for me, bowling in the subcontinent is about playing a longer game than it is in England because that that one delivery where you bowl the effort ball in swinger that has to be on the money at the base of middle stump when it's swinging back in, you have to be really accurate with your execution. So maybe on reflection, I think Mark Wood would have thought that maybe he tried a little bit too much when he got the ball in his hand. And if he simplifies it, he's got all the skills and the know-how to be able to be dangerous on, on any pitch anywhere.
2: Yeah, he hasn't played that much in that part of the world as well. The other thing that was interesting was I mean, I mean, this is a guy that bowls pies at, you know, village club level, but he wasn't bowling silly, silly quick. I mean, that spell at and he got clocked at 96.5. He was bowling sort of 88, 89 in this test match, which is seriously bloody quick. But he didn't have batsmen hopping around quite as much as he did at times this summer, and I know it's still bloody quick, but it's seven miles an hour difference there. So I wonder if he'd been bowling ninety six, whether it would have been a bit more of a, a bit more of an interesting competition between him and the batsmen as well. Uh, so I've got to look forward to the next Test match, Finney. So team selection. Oh, that that's a different cat's ass. That's yeah. Elizabeth's bum. Yeah, is that Elizabeth's bum? Are there are there three cats or two cats? I always get confused. Two cats, Elizabeth yeah. and Ethel. Oh, that's right. That's Elizabeth's ass.
0: It's slightly... I'm angry
3: with Elizabeth. I just caught her eating a house plant when I walked back through the door after being in oh. Barbados for three days. So I'm expecting her to yak it up somewhere in the house.
2: You don't look that upset with her because you're currently just stroking her and showing her lots of affection. She's getting well, She's never going to learn bad. her
3: lesson. I feel bad. I don't how. How on earth do you discipline a
2: cat? I've got no idea. They just do what <laughs> they
3: just do what they <laughs> yes, want the whole true. time. It's true.
2: So Finny, I mean, obviously the conditions will play a part, but. It's going to be interesting team selection-wise. Talk to me about Seamers. It's back-to-back test matches. Mark Wood obviously didn't take any wickets at first test. Would you be tempted by a Jimmy Anderson? Would you be tempted by an Atkinson? Would you be tempted by an Ollie Robinson? Well, I actually
3: thought they might be tempted to play two Seamers. I remember in Vizag, when I was there for the tour in 2016-17 and Broad and Anderson did a lot of the damage, Broad bowling leg cutters, um, and Anderson using the new ball and then reverse swing as well towards the latter stages of the innings. So... I think they might contemplate that and who would miss out, I suppose, if Leach isn't there or available, as it seems like is going to be likely, then it's a straight swap for him and you keep the left arm spin, the off spin of Root and then the wrist spin of Rahan Ahmed, who can be really dangerous when trying to mop those tails up as well. The tail enders have got no idea against Googlies.
2: The other factor that has changed everything is Joe Root's bowling? I mean, he's no longer a part-timer, it doesn't feel like his record in this part of the world's really good and he's he's worked on it so hard. I mean, he's got a test bowling average of 45, but I'd like to see what it was in the last few years. I mean, a better podcast would have come prepared with those stats, but I don't have them that's to hand. But again, yeah, it's not, I mean, I was hoping Norcross would be around to do it. Um, but that's the other thing that makes selection so much easier for this side, isn't it, Finny? That Joe Root looks a serious bowler.
3: Well, you always need an all-rounder to balance your team. And when Ben Stokes is bowling, especially in the UK, it balances the team so nicely that you can feel like you've got all your bases covered when it comes to the ball being in hand. And Joe Root, he took five for eight on the last tour there and was England's best bowler on that trip um, when he was captain. And it's no surprise that he's doing exactly the same again. He's got the experience. He knows exactly what batters do and don't want to face and he's got the control to be able to execute it. I think he's gone up to number three in the ICC all-rounder rankings now, above Ben Stokes. So he's,
2: He has. Um, he's gone ahead. He's fourth. He's ahead of Ben Stokes in five, and he's behind mm. uh, Shaqib Alassane, Ashwin, and Jadeja. Yeah. Uh, so that, that shows how well he's bowling at the moment. Well, Finny, I, I know you've got to go to Stockholm, but enjoy, and you won't actually get to enjoy the bright lights of Stockholm much, will you? Because you'll be getting up at silly o'clock in the morning and, and doing the I coverage.
3: I think the call time is 2.30, yeah. So my alarm will be going around... 2 o'clock or one forty-five in the morning and then we go all the way through to about half past 12 the next day. So I've, I've got no idea how I'm going to get through it, to be honest. I'm just,
2: oh, you could go I, for a bit of a sleep and then go for some dinner in Stockholm before you start the coverage, I guess.
3: Yeah, but the, I just don't know how people sleep through the middle of the day. I'm mm. it's, it's completely baffling. Yeah. So well, I used to do the 4 my... till 6 a.m. show, so I was a, a king at sleeping during the day. But mm. it takes practice. But at least that's two hours. We're we're there for yeah. 10 hours and you have to be coherent. And people are waking up by the time you've slept nothing for the last like eight yeah. <laughs> hours. And then by the time people are waking up and your eyebrows are coming out your head and you're, you're scratching your red eyes and you've had your 19th coffee of the evening, um, that's when you need to be speaking most sense. So yeah, please forgive me if I don't look my freshest or best when it comes to wrapping up the day's play at the end of it all.
2: And if so, you're praying for an England win and a two day test match because then you can get oh, stuck that'd into be the Stockholm. Dream.
3: Oh, three days work. with Alistair Cook in Stockholm. Yeah, I just have to convince
2: his wife to let him stay out there for three extra days. <laughs> well, I doubt she listens to this podcast, so you should be all right. No one does. Right, exactly. Nobody does. Uh, right, Finny, I'll let you go to Stockholm, um, but enjoy the um, meatballs and the ABBA and whatever else they do over there. And uh, um, best of luck thank you you have a you have a fantastic week too toby thanks finney we're much nicer to each other when norcross isn't around it shows that he's the one that drags this this podcast down in, in many ways agreed have a safe trip mate and i'll see you soon
4: see ya. well well wasn't that a nauseatingly saccharine episode with the love god sprinkling his billet dues over toby and i imagine toby now walking on air the poor naive fool but of course They covered most things, but not the team, because they're so desperate to get on with things. Of course, they missed the news. What a surprise! But I have the scoop. Hot off the press. England have announced their team, as they often do, day before the Test match, and it's the biggest non-surprise in uh, in basketball history, really. It's that Shahab Bashir, who has barely played a game of cricket in his life, is going to make his England debut. He's going to come in to replace injured Jack Leach, whose knee has not recovered, and he becomes cap number 713, which is so delicious, because Jimmy Anderson has also been recalled to the side in place of Mark Wood, and he is cap number 613. A full 100 caps between each other. Another man who was not even born when Jimmy Anderson made his debut, alongside Rayan Ahmed, two players who weren't born when Jimmy Anderson made his debut. Now, the significance of that 100-cap difference, I hear you cry because I know you want to know about it, the last time I believe it happened for England was when Mark Eilert made his debut, cap number 561, alongside Graham Gooch in 1993. Graham Gooch was cap number 461. So I hear you cry, what is the largest distance in cap numbers? Well, I think I've worked it out. It's the venerable left arm spinner and holder of the record for most number of first-class wickets, Wilf Rhodes, who played in 1930 against the West Indies. Alongside a chap called Leslie Townend, who didn't play a lot of cricket, Wilf Rhodes was cap number one two one. Leslie Townend two five four. A full one hundred and thirty three caps between them. So it is quite the thing. Now, what it tells you is what we already know, isn't it? About Basball, which is that they have no fear whatsoever in throwing in young players on debut in awkward circumstances. We think back to other spinners that Basball has debuted with, Will Jacks took six foot on his debut against Pakistan. Rayan Ahmed took five foot on debut at Karachi and became the youngest England cap in Test cricket history. And that was also last year. And then, most recently, yes, the very last Test match, Tom Hartley, who got a five foot on debut. So quite a lot for Shahab Bashir to live up to. He is, I'm reliably informed, extremely tall, will bang the ball into the pitch. Off-spinner, there aren't very many left-handers in the Indian side, especially with Ravindra Jadeja ruled out. So it will be a slightly more tricky task for him. But there you have it, England making the two changes, Anderson and Bashir for Leach and Wood. Like I say, a surprise, but somehow not a surprise. In Baz we trust. And um, to Finney and Toby, I'm glad you had so much fun without me. But don't worry, I'll be back, and I'm gunning for you.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone
0: seen the bride and groom?
4: Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. (gasps)